Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome in, everybody. I'm Nick Seipel, joined this week by Motley Fool contributor Lou Whiteman. Our special guest today is Mark Manduka, the Chief Investment Officer of GXO Logistics. GXO is one of the world's largest providers of contract logistics services, helping customers like Nike and Disney get their products to market as efficiently as possible. Mark, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for your time today. Uh, great to be here with you. So before we dive into, you know, uh, deep into your company, just to, just to set the stage, I mentioned, you know, uh, GXO helps provide contract logistics services to some of these big blue chip companies like Disney and Nike. What does that really entail on a day-to-day basis? What problems are you solving for your customers? High value added warehousing services. We are, we've are we got a particular strength within e-commerce. You'll know obviously that we're sitting as a company, we find ourselves at the convergence of some amazing secular tailwinds. And there's a tremendous growth opportunity in our industry, as you can imagine. It's a $130 billion contract logistics market with the largest pure play within that space. And it's an industry that's highly fragmented. No, no single player has more than, than 10% market share. The top five players have less than 25%. And that's one of the things that, that, that gets people excited about the growth opportunity. This is an industry that really serves the purposes, as you said in your intro, of global blue chip customers wanting to be the best version of themselves within their warehouse infrastructure. And between scale and being global and having a strong balance sheet and being technologically advanced as we are, as I'm sure we'll talk about on this call, this is really about an industry that's gravitating towards the scale players in the space. And in essence, with e-commerce being as global as it is, what you're finding is that the customers want to play with other global 3PLs, third-party logistics providers such as us. So the industry has been poised for a while for a paradigm shift. We've entered that period now. The days of old of moving boxes around a warehouse by hand are over, and we're seeing a new age warehouse emerging, uh, like from uh, the phoenix from the ashes. And that's the, that's, the future, that's the future of this industry. It's the warehouse of the future. Yeah, so, so when it comes to executing on that vision, uh, why are these big companies outsourcing to companies like you rather than doing it in-house? It's really from a solutions providing uh, proviso perspective. So what you're looking to do here is, when I said being the best version of yourself, that's really the key to this. You can employ a number of teammates to push boxes in your Dickensian warehouse of 200 years ago. You can push those boxes around by hand, and you could probably do a very good job. Fast forward 200 years to today, where everything is no, no longer about hours and days and weeks. It's about split seconds, making sure that that inventory gets to the front of the store as absolutely quickly as possible, gets into the hands of the consumers as quickly as possible. And given the technology that is implemented within these warehouses, you are at a disadvantage if you are doing this on your own, by hand, without the technological innovation and the integration that we can provide as a technology outsourcing company, as an advisory, as a consultancy. The game has just gone from Little League to Premier League, and you don't want to be left behind in this tech arms race, so to speak, that's taking place in warehouses. Your competition are doing it. 
you don't know how to use that robotic arm as much as the person who's done it over 1,050 customers in 869 warehouses. That's us, by the way. And therefore, you're going to gravitate towards that technologically advanced, global, scalable 3PL player. And that's where this big trend is going. The reason why customers are coming to us is because they want that technological advancement. They want the value-added services. You mentioned a couple of customers earlier. In terms of the, the, the integration and detail that we're doing for them, we're taking hardware, software, we're integrating it, we're doing personalization of equipment. These things can't be done in those Dickensian warehouses that we discussed at the start. So the game has moved on and customers need us. Yeah, so, so you mentioned Dickensian warehouses, kind of uh, its transition we're seeing in commerce. One of the big drivers there is just the emergence of e-commerce, still a minority of the commerce that we're seeing uh, done in the world. How is e-commerce driving these, these shifts you're seeing in warehouses and logistics? E-commerce is such an important theme, as you know, and it's one of those big secular growth drivers that we talked about, the big three of e-commerce automation and outsourcing, those tailwinds that we have uh, on our backs. We've built a leading, a leading position in, in e-commerce with 40% of revenues from omnichannel retail and e-com, as you know. Now, e-commerce, as, as you mentioned in your question, it's obviously substantially outgrowing the broader economy. We operate the largest outsourced e-fulfillment platform in Europe and have a commanding presence in e-commerce in North America as well. And our presence will continue, obviously, to grow as e-commerce continues to win market share from that traditional brick and mortar retail. And as, as you mentioned, we also have expertise in reverse logistics, such an important area of e-commerce and such a fast growing area as well. And then of course, we have a variety of different software tools to make sure that you can get your products in and out of, this, of the warehouse as quickly and efficiently as possible. But e-commerce is high growth. You're growing at double digits as an industry in e-com. You want someone who is technologically proficient. You want someone who has got e-commerce expertise, someone who has reverse logistics expertise, because customers, quite frankly, come to us putting, pulling their hair out. They come to us seeing this 200-year-old warehouse from the Dickensian times, as I mentioned, where you're returning one in 10 items. Today, you're returning one in three, one in three three items being returned, that's a headache. And as you come to us and you need that help, we're here to give you that service to make sure that that inventory doesn't sit latently in the back of the back of the van at the back of the warehouse. Instead, you want to make sure that you get it back into the front store so it can be sold. Really what's happened here is that e-commerce is one of the many reasons why this industry has moved from being a cost conversation for so many customers with their respective 3PL into a revenue, inventory, and reputational reason. So you are basically shifting this discussion from 3% of costs to 100% of your revenue, and therefore your 3PL has become a very important part of your infrastructure. That's the game that's changed. It's from moving from a commodity to a value add. That's what e-commerce has done for this industry. Yeah, I love that framing that you, that you put as far as moving from a commodity to a value add, which maybe ties into uh, uh, some of what you're doing on the automation side. So, so as a business, uh, uh, GXO, you aren't building robots yourself. You're kind of bringing these in-house and really adding value and how you execute on that. Can you talk about the value that, that GXO really brings in kind of putting these pieces together into a well-functioning warehouse? So there's, there's a few great points to, to mention. Firstly, warehouses are, are becoming increasingly automated for efficiency, 
for speed, and most importantly, for safety for, for, for our workers and teammates. Now, this is clearly this trend of automation in warehouses is transforming the logistics industry. And in so many ways, it's, it's really just getting started. If you think about the broader industry, warehouses are barely 5% automated. And clearly, uh, we design, as I've mentioned, and execute this transition for our customers. And it's backed by our first mover advantage and some very scalable software solutions. What we do as a technology outsourcing company is we help you as a leading tech innovator in logistics with, our, with robots, with goods to person systems, with wearable technology. We help you be the best version of yourself within the, within the warehouse. And with our proprietary software tool on GXO Smart, which drives, as I'm sure you're aware, significant labor productivity savings across the warehouse, we can really give you that all-encompassing solution, that end-to-end -end solution within your warehouse to provide effectively integrated robotic solutions on a customized basis. That's what we're doing. We're basically taking what was, in essence, a warehouse that was being pushed by hand and implementing robotics, cobots, automation, software solutions into a warehouse to make sure that the, the inventory moves through the warehouse on a quicker, more efficient basis and makes the warehouse safer in the process. Mark, this is Lou Wyman. I was hoping you could uh, kind of dig down a little deeper on some of like the, the nitty gritty of what GXO does. I mean, I think there's logistics is a pretty broad thing. We've talked about kind of the warehouse, but I mean, it, it depends on the company in some areas like with, with an Apple where, you know, they're almost building a warehouse and you're going to run that for them versus some of the, uh, the old direct product from uh, the XPO days where it's kind of uh, just getting scale to smaller players. Uh, th th there's a wide range of things going on just kind of within warehouse management and what you can offer for different size players. Is that correct? Exactly right. And direct is a very important part of our infrastructure, but the mainstay of our profit center as a business right now is still very much the, the dedicated, focused customer facility where we are working for a number of blue chip customers. As you know, there are a number of logos within our various packs. And we're creating very long duration contracts with customers who want to be, be with us for significant life cycles within their product. And to keep it simple, if you think about our top 20 customers on average, they're partnering with us for around 15 years. And our, over, our average contract length is roughly around five years in length. So the first thing to make a note of in terms of what we do is we're providing duration contracts on a dedicated customer facility basis. And just think about us as being those 869 warehouses, those thousand plus customers within those dedicated facilities. On your point of direct, it's an important product for us. We provide, I would, I would describe it as a, a facility within a facility such that you have a warehouse that typically would be dedicated for one customer. Instead, what you're doing it is you're doing it on a multi-tenanted basis, allowing customers to leverage the strengths that you've garnered as a scalable technology proficient player, allow them to use those software solutions, use your benefits of scale in terms of hiring, use your ability to source warehouses in the right place, using all that know-how and expertise and taking a small part of that particular warehouse in a particular location. It can be used for big customers as well as small customers, but it allows you to channel through the various Shopify's and Amazons of this world to get your customers D to C, direct to the consumer, on a quick and efficient and safe basis. So 
we are we try not to be all things to all people, but we play within certain niches of the market where we can leverage our scalability, globality, and expertise for some of the sort more medium-sized and smaller customers. Yeah, we've talked some, uh, Mark, about you know automation and your investments in that area. But when you look at running a warehouse, still a, a very uh, people-intensive business. You just put a press release out here recently. You're, you're hiring thousands of workers here ahead of the holiday uh, uh, surge that we're going to see later this year. Uh, how do you balance the, the the people needs inside these these businesses, inside these warehouses, with your real your push towards automation? Yeah, so it's, it's an excellent point. So let's pick up on a couple of things. So first of all, GXO plans to hire more than 20,000 uh, globally for this peak period, as you mentioned. And that includes everything from salaried to contractors and also hourly roles. Broadly, if you split that up, you're looking at the better part of around 9,000 plus for the North American market, and Europe is roughly tracking at around 12,000. And to contextualize that, last year for peak, we had approximately around 8,000 openings in the North American supply chain market. Just give you some, some flavor and some numbers. In terms of our goal, and I think this is, I'll, I'll link it into your point of technology, which I think is very important. Our goal is clearly to be the employer of choice across all our markets. And more importantly, we're committed to ensuring a safe, and I've mentioned that word a number of times, and healthy workplace for our, for our uh, teammates. So we're working with, with customers to stay competitive through this period. As you can imagine, we're keeping a very clear eye on detail, but be very clear as well. We also have a first mover advantage on the, on the tech side, as I mentioned. And the way I see the future amongst all these amazing things that are happening in our industry between picking arms and advanced conveyor belts and automated guided vehicles, you name it. There's so many wonderful things that are happening within our warehouses, and we hope to broadly have around more than 3,100 robots and different, and, and different auto automation systems in our warehouses by the end of this year. I would say we're, we're using robotics here to make the workplace safer, and I would view it as removing some of the more mundane tasks from the warehouse as well. This is really a case of people working alongside robots, as you saw in the case of the cobot example I gave rather than people versus robots, which is how the question was tilted. So we really feel that this is an environment which actually makes the workplace a better place to be within the warehouse, a more efficient place, a speedier place, and also from an environmental standpoint, a safer place to work. I think I've seen it said, uh, GXO said about 5% of the warehouse is automated today or somewhere around then. What's the realistic target? Where does that go? I did, it's not going to become, as you say, the the domain of robots, but uh, how efficient, how far can we go kind of into that process, say in five years or however down the line? Lou, the wonderful thing, it's such a great point. The wonderful thing across automation, e-commerce and outsourcing is that these themes are really in their nascency. So you mentioned automation. The 5% that you quoted is really an industry number. Our automation broadly is around 30%. So if you think about the industry, the industry is really standing from a standing start in so many ways. It is not a very automated industry right now. So there is no there is no issue in terms of headroom for growth. And if you look at some of the other industries, maybe some of some some industries across the the freight environment, you can see levels of automation well into the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Quite frankly, so in terms of the journey. I would say there is a lot of runway for growth there in terms of automation. Clearly, we would we believe that we are the, if not one of the leading tech innovators within the logistics space, as I mentioned, with our 30% roughly automated warehouse footprint. 
In terms of the other secular drivers, and this is the wonderful thing about having three coalescing tailwinds behind you, outsourcing clearly is only 30% automate, uh, 30% outsourced at the moment in a $130 billion market. On top of that, you have $300 billion that's still yet to be outsourced. And that we are beginning to see, as we've seen in the last couple of years, people increasingly come from the in-house market to the outsourced market. And then, of course, in e-commerce, we all believe that e-commerce has been going, going on for, for so many years, and it has, but it's still only 20% penetrated versus brick and mortar. So you have a lot of runway for growth. Some of, some of the conversations that we have talk about, talk about customers of ours wanting to go from 20% to 80% e-commerce, which tells you the desire to want to have someone who knows what they're doing in this sphere. Those one in three items being returned, that hair being pulled out that I talked about. You want to, you want to go with the party, the third party logistics provider that has lived it and done it before for someone else. And that scalability of expertise of being that first mover is so, so important in what's going to happen over the next decade in this industry. There is going to be a gravitation towards people who are the most automated. We're in that category. People who know how to outsource from the in-house and manage that process for a customer seamlessly and people who have an e-commerce backbone. Remember that 40 to 50% that I quoted at the start of, the, uh, start of this call. Yeah, so, so, you, so you tell the story of a really uh, a growing market and where XBO stands out as a, as a scale player with, with a strong balance sheet expertise. Um, as you look out, you know, you mentioned t- 10 years down the line, do you view this as an industry that has, you know, a handful of scale players that are really dominating outsourcing or do you still see it remaining fragmented in the way that it is today with lots and lots of independent uh, players? If you look at other industries across the, the freight sphere, what you've seen is, and remember that 30% that I quoted for, for, from Lou's question in terms of outsourcing, in terms of the outsourced market currently being at 30%, you look at other industries and you actually see two things happening. You see a gravitation towards scale players, because clearly if you're, if you're a minnow in the space from a 3PL standpoint, and you haven't got experience in e-com and you haven't got experience in reverse logistics, and you have you don't know how to use that robotic arm because you're not as automated. Clearly, there's going to be a reluctance by the customer and a wariness of wanting to be treated like a guinea pig first time out. No one wants to be with the party that's making it their first rodeo. So there is that 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 flywheel effect that's taking place within our, within our industry. In terms of your broader point about gravitation, clearly what that points towards is that this element of of big getting bigger is definitely a theme that could proliferate. This idea of seeing a more a, a gravitation of market share towards, say, the top three, top five players in the industry who have automation experience, who have outsourcing experience, who have e-com experience, who know where to put that robot in the warehouse and next door to the scanners and have lived it and done it and not necessarily showing you a YouTube video as part of the RFP, that I think is a very important process. But I really believe that this is an industry that is on the rise. There are a number of ships here that are going to do extremely well. And I'm just pointing towards maybe a slight tilt in the pendulum of where we sit and why we may do slightly better in what is essentially a bunch of ships that will be rising with a rising tide. So you're a $7 billion player. So I think what you call a $130 billion market, Um, you know, as an investor, the exciting thing here is to think about, you know, the business can double. I mean, there's just so much room to grow without actually, you know, even in a competitive market. Uh, you come from a company, uh, the predecessor XPO was very, very acquisitive. Uh, you have a 
decent balance sheet right now, uh, only improving. Do you think, I mean, it seems like in your early days as an independent, there's plenty of room for organic growth. You talk about all these companies that are looking to outsource or to looking to get involved that way. Do you see, I mean, how do you weigh organic versus M&A? Uh, there's such an opportunity here as XPO has done it in the past, it seems like to roll up, but there's also kind of an expertise. I mean, how do you view that? Do you see a combination of both or, or where is GXO prioritizing, I guess, for the next few years? I like the point that you raised, Lou, in regards to the heritage. I think it's a very good one. Clearly, we do come from a heritage where M&A has been at the forefront and done with excellence. I would say the contract logistics market is slightly different in the sense that you do have an informational disadvantage when you do M&A in this space. And that is, you're far better positioned, as you, as you alluded to in, in, in your excellent question, at tilting your strong suit to knowing what you know rather than knowing what you don't know. And what I mean by that is very simple. And that is when you go in for a contract bid for a certain piece of business where you know the volume data, where you know the pick rates, where you know the location, that is a far easier RFP process than buying a collection of contracts with, as you referenced, someone else's leverage, someone, someone, else's, um, someone else's teammates, someone else's environment, someone else's balance sheet, all of that stuff that comes with another business, you have to be extremely discerning in an environment where you have to be careful in terms of valuation as always with M&A. So the tilt for us is always going to be on that huge organic growth opportunity that we have. Do we look at everything in the M&A market? Absolutely. But in terms of making sure that we're doing what's best for our customers, our shareholders and our teammates across our across our wonderful company, we're always going to be tilted to the organic growth opportunity here because, as you said, it's so seismic. I mean, when you mentioned the, the, the $130 billion. You forgot the $300 billion on top of that, where you're winning market share from the in-house as well, where you're landing and expanding, where one customer comes to you and before you know it, you've got three contracts with the same customer. That, yeah. given, that, that flavor that you give to the customers, that organic flywheel that I've talked about, that technological edge, it's all gravitating towards these scale players in the industry. And therefore, for us, organic is going to be the focus. That's not to disown M&A at all, but view it very much as a bolt-on strategy, 10 to 150 warehouses at a time, being incredibly discerning about the contracts that you're taking on, the duration of those contracts, know what you know, and play in that field and play to your strengths. Organic first, inorganic second, I would say, to answer your question very bluntly. No, that's that's very interesting. Logistics is so interesting right now because it's such a catch-all and so much of the business is evolving because of e-commerce and some of these other trends you're talking about. Uh, we've had notable situations already where uh, frenemies, for lack of a better word, uh, there was one very, very large e-commerce company that famously tripped tripped up your predecessor XPO. They, I think they tripped up FedEx too when they started to go the other way in-house. Um, today, I would think GXO both would work with a FedEx and also FedEx is very aggressively building their reverse logistics return business, which would be sort of a competitor. Uh, how do the, the dynamics play out? You're sort of in a land grab time in the business where all of these, some of these old economy companies are figuring out what they can do and how far they can extend themselves. E-commerce is kind of moving in or figuring out where they want to be in the logistics change. Uh, how, how does GXO kind of plan for all this now? And how do you think things are going to shape out? And I mean, are we going to settle or is this going to just be a constant, um, a constant evolution in the next five years in terms of who's working with who, who's doing what? Uh, how do you plan for that? I guess it's the, 
is the easy question there. So before you plan, you have to work out what's happened. And as you, as you rightly say, there's, there's an element of vindication because for all the words I'm saying, there is proof in the pudding that there are a number of very big companies are coming into this space. And you've seen it in the last six months doing M&A in the space. You've seen it from a European company. You've seen it from a US company. They are positioning themselves, and you've seen it also from a Middle Eastern company as well, positioning themselves within a space where us three are talking about secular growth right now. So there's an element of this where actually I like, I like what's happening because it's vindicative of what we're saying, that there is huge growth, that there is a huge TAM, a total addressable market. And the old companies that you referenced in your question, Lou, those old companies that want to get a direct-to-consumer model up and running, that want to be able to shift from brick and mortar to e-commerce, and they want to have a partner that can work with them as an integrated operation, that can work with them with their brand labeled on the lapel. To have someone who can do that for you are few and far between. We are utterly focused on one thing, pleasing our customers within a warehouse. And that is rare. If you look at the top 10 players in this industry, the majority of them are conglomerates, which is fine. But being utterly unconflicted and focused on one thing, I believe has a value in this industry. And to a certain degree, it's exemplified by the lack of revenue synergies from actually spinning out of a business that you referenced. So being selective, really, the output of what you're saying is very simple. You've got to be selective about the business that you're doing. The TAM is huge. The chess pieces are moving around the, because of all the growth that is existing in the industry. All you have to do as a management team right now is make sure that you get the right customers on the books, grow with your existing customers, help them expand globally and within the e-commerce channels, please them on a day-to-day -day basis, breed efficiency through your network, but be selective about the customers that you do business with. The reality is, is that you could, you, you could make a mess of this by just being too greedy and taking on too much. We're selective as a management team. We've got very clear hurdle rates in place. We work with our customers hand in glove. We're providing a Cadillac type service. And that's really the output of all the good inputs that you talked about in terms of all the chess pieces moving around the world and all the different pieces of the fragmented puzzle that exist. Old companies want to get direct to the consumer and they're making that shift from 20% e-com to 80% e-com. And as they do that, they'll want to be with an integrated, dedicated partner. That's us, that's GXO, and that's very exciting for our long-term growth. Yeah, I love it. So maybe one follow-up. You mentioned following, uh, you know, solving uh, the customers' problems, delighting them on, on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, headlines all over the place uh, these days of trying to navigate the supply chain uh, morass that, that that is facing a lot of uh, a lot of businesses as the holiday season approaches. What are you seeing on the ground uh, as you're trying to navigate these issues for companies? So the holidays aren't being cancelled. Uh, the holidays are happening, which which I'm sure you're pleased about. Um, and the way I would think about it is very simple. Holidays are just going to be slightly different this year in the sense that certain parts of the supply chain are, are going through some changes. And a company such as ours in the 3PL space could well be the solution to that kind of industry type problem. So in terms of the long term point, let's just attack some of the issues that we talked about on this call. Even before the pandemic and, and the broader supply chain disruptions that you referenced, it was obvious that there was a structural e-commerce growth trend in place. And I don't think anything that we've seen at the industry level in the last 
in the last nine months, certainly the last three months, uh, via the, the supply chain issues, has changed that North Star and final destination. So that North Star is still very much in place. E-commerce still has a, a, an amazing growth trajectory ahead of it. If you take the shorter term point that you made, the more cyclical and seasonal point, which is, which is well made, peak is still very much going to happen this year. Customers are increasingly choosing, and this is so important, they're choosing to fulfill their orders via e-commerce channels, given the speed to market that e-commerce offers once those delayed goods, as you say, arrive at the port. So goods arrive at the port 60 days late, 50 days late, five days late, whatever the number ends up being for that particular good. And the customer is making a decision to channel it through the e-commerce channels rather than putting it in a brick and mortar store and waiting another two to six weeks before the product reaches the end consumer. So some would argue that that trend is obviously good for a company that is focused and has expertise in e-commerce. The flow of goods is really just changing and you should think about it in terms of an adaptation of the, of the supply chain. We're part of the solution with the magic dust that sits within the, the, the network. And this isn't new to us. We've been planning peaks since the summer. And obviously as a business, we would continue to say that the holidays are still happening. So Mark, I know I've known you since you're on the sell side and I know yeah, you'll understand, you know, the hardest thing about kind of doing this is kind of, you know, how to hold companies not accountable, but but how to how to judge them over the long term. And so I thought it would be neat to ask you kind of how are you looking internally at GXO, you know, keeping score, what metrics are you looking at? What what should if, if things work out, what should we see? in a couple of years out, what should we be looking for? I'm not going to just hold you to, you're going to save Christmas for us. Uh, you know, kind of what, what metrics do you use and where do you see yourself, the, the company going in, I don't know, two, five, X number of years? I think there's a, there's a few things. With, with, with any new company, I think there's very much a case of delivery and what you say you have to do. And therefore, that's very much front of mind for any new company. I would also say that we're creating a category here. There isn't anything in the market that would point towards pure play, scalable contract logistics. And when you're creating a category, there's an element of trust that doesn't just take a couple of weeks or months. It could take years. But in that process, we have to make sure that as a company, we're clear from a metric standpoint what great looks like. And we talked about this obviously on our last conference call. We talked a lot about our pipeline. We talked a lot about our new wins. We talked about the duration of customers. We talked about land and expand. You obviously saw one of the contracts going from Indiana into Spain. This idea of pleasing the customer, not just with one contract, but multiple contracts in multiple jurisdictions and growing the TAM within the TAM almost, growing the TAM within existing customers. That really will be the proof in the pudding of this industry to be able to take the existing customer base and whatever the number is percentage-wise in terms of that specific customer that you have, growing the percentage within that customer base as they continue to get pleased and delighted with your existing service. That's really, for me, the definition of success. Pleasing your existing customer base and to a certain degree, taking market share and proving the scalability point as well. That will really drive the flywheel. If you think about the three portions that you're really looking to do, you're looking to grow from existing customers in terms of new scope. You're looking to grow in, in, in a third-party logistics front from a first-time outsourcer perspective. And you're looking to take market share. 
from people that don't have your technological advantage, that don't have your e-commerce advantage, and that don't have your scale. If you can prove those three things, that makes for a very interesting narrative in a category that you are creating in a high growth, high TAM operation. Got it. So maybe one of the big markers to look for, you know, you call out in your, your kind of come public presentation that 30% of the market's outsourced today. If if everything goes the way you'd like it to and you execute on your plans, you know, we should be seeing in excess of 50% by the end of the decade. Something like that would be uh, would be look like success. There are other industries that are 60 to 90% outsourced if you look across the, the value chain. Excellent. Uh, well, Mark, we, we've we've been here for you know a half hour or so. Great uh, discussion on on GXO. Whenever I have these conversations, I always like to offer the guest. You know, we, we've talked about your company for half an hour. If you had to boil this whole conversation down to a couple bullet points uh, for an investor to take away from this about GXO and where the company is going, uh, what would those bullet points be for you? It comes down to four very simple micro points and three simple macro points, and that is the flywheel effect is being driven by one scale two globality, three a good balance sheet, and four a technological advantage. Those are the four things that are really driving the flywheel. And clearly, no summary would be complete unless I talked about the tailwinds at the end, which are clearly e-commerce, automation, outsourcing, lots of runway, lots of opportunity ahead for a company such as ours. Mark, thanks so much for spending this time with us. Uh, I hope we can stay in touch and we'll be looking forward to following what uh, GXO does in the future. Nick Lou, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate the questions and the time. Real pleasure, Mark. Thank you. As always, people in the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for mixing the show. For Mark Manduka and Lou Whiteman, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.